0: You're listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Morning friends. It's good to be with you today on this Palm Sunday. Um as Sam said, my name is Angela. I'm Angela Otero and I'm the pastor here of discipleship and spiritual formation and I get the privilege of speaking with you this morning. So I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a lot going on in Augusta right now, right? Just a few things. We've got the, especially the the golf tournament and all the preparations that go into that, all the cleaning that people do so that they can rent out their houses, the traveling that gets to happen because of that. Um, So in all of that, you may or may not have noticed that Holy Week is upon us. It's Palm Sunday, And that is the start of what we call Holy Week in the Christian calendar. Um, The week where we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, like Roger read about at the beginning of the service. Then on Thursday, uh, Monday, Thursday, we call it. It's for the word mandate. It's when Jesus gave the mandate to love. That's the day that we celebrate the Last Supper the institution of communion and why we do communion. Um, And then Good Friday, right? And all of this leads up to Easter Sunday, right? This is the high point of our faith and the high point of the Christian calendar because of that. But I get the task this morning of talking about something not Eastery, quite yet. Um, first, before we can talk about Easter, we have to talk about suffering and sin. And before we get to enter into his resurrection and his life, we have to first enter into his death. And before we get to live in the privilege. Of calling ourselves his sons and his daughters. We have to recognize and lament enslavement, our enslavement to sin and to death. That makes for a pretty tense sermon and a pretty tense week. So let's pray. Jesus, your disciples had to sit in the very uncomfortable tension of a dead Messiah for three days, thinking they had wasted their time and their life on somebody who didn't pan out. And we acknowledge that what you did for us is totally pointless, unless we understand our need for your suffering and for your death, and for the forgiveness of our sins, which is our topic today. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. You have been here. We ask you to come more, come more now in this time. Speak to our hearts today. Say what you want to say to us as a church and as a congregation And say what you want to say to us as individuals. We open our hearts to you. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. So this Lent, we've been in a message series called The Mystery of Faith. And we've had our pastors teaching on various parts, various portions of the Apostles' Creed. And it'll be up here for you now, briefly, just to jog your memory a little bit. But as we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, for the most part, it describes the nature of God. Who he is, what he does, and gives him all the glory. Everything up until this point in the Apostles' Creed has put the fullness of God on display. And it's only now that the creed turns to humanity and specifically to our sin. And we can only understand our purpose, our identity, and our eternal destiny when we first look to God and who He is. So that's what we've been doing over the Sundays in Lent, and that's what we've been doing, those of us who've been reading along in the devotional guide. And if you've missed any of those Sundays, I would encourage you to go back because these are fundamentals of our faith. These are the tenets of our faith that all Christians, this is kind of a thing that unites us because all Christians ascribe to these things. And so now we turn our thoughts to the line towards the end, the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And there, my friends, is so much to say about that. To be honest, I wrote like three sermons trying to figure out what it was there was just so much one could say and so I had to kind of pause um, way too late in the week and just say Holy Spirit just what do you want to bring up today because we just we can't say it all and so I felt like he kind of helped me whittle it down to three simple things this is not an exhaustive um, theology this is not a systematic theology of the forgiveness of sins this is just three simple things that I felt like he was wanting us to talk about So the first of which is that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. You are a sinner in need of forgiveness. So let's talk about the word sin, and let's talk about forgiveness. So the word sin, as it appears in the Bible, here's our um, language lesson for the day, um, comes from um, the Greek word, which is hamartia. Can you say that with me? Hamartia. Hamartia. And it also comes from the Hebrew word hata. Can you say that with me? Hata. Good. Very good. Um, And that means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Or to be flawed. And it comes from uh, archery. comes from sporting uh, in their culture. Archery, when one is shooting for the bullseye or spear throwing, when one is shooting for the bullseye and one doesn't hit the bullseye, that is hamartia, a missed the mark. So when it comes to our spiritual shortcomings, this gets applied to us. We use the word sin when we miss the bullseye, or since it's golf week, when we miss the hole-in-one. So when it comes to that, missing the hole-in-one, how many of us? have failed, have sinned, have hamartied. Romans, the book of Romans tells us all have sinned, all have fallen short. So last Sunday, Roger and I got the opportunity to go and um, see the Augusta National for a couple hours, and it was really neat. This is the first time I've been in a long time. And I have to be honest, I'm a gardener, so I was there to see the grounds and the pristine lawns and the azaleas and the way that they planted everything. Um, But what I was supposed to be there for um, was the Children's Drive, Chip, and Putt Tournament. And it was adorable, I have to say. How everyone, all the grown-ups there were just so focused on the kids and how well they were doing and cheering for them and just watching them get their trophies. And um, I just that part surprised me, how, how great it was. And the kids were so good. I mean, so good. Um, and they're proud parents. They would cheer for them. I don't think the parents were sitting there thinking, if you don't get a hole in one, we're done. I'm giving you up. The parents were sitting there going, come on, baby, come on, baby. I know you can do it. And then, you know, some, somebody would sing a great putt, and, you know, the crowd would cheer, and everyone was so proud of them. And I think, like, the young golfers in, a, in our lives, those of us who are believers and disciples of Jesus, we're aiming for this hole in one. We're aiming for God's goodness, we're aiming for a perfection, but we miss. over and over. We miss. And over and over again, we recalibrate and try again. And like the loving parents on the course that day, they're always hoping. They're always cheering for that hole in one. But they don't give up on their kids. God doesn't give up on us. They keep coaching and they keep encouraging them. And they keep encouraging them to recalibrate and improve. And I think that's the heart of God for us. That's been my experience of the heart of God. He's not sitting in a cloud waiting for us to miss so he can Throw his lightning bolt down and smite us. Paul says this in in Romans chapter 3. God puts people right through their faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence, but by the free gift of God's grace, all are put right with him through Christ Jesus who sets them free. I am a bullseye misser, often, but through the grace of Jesus, he realigns me over and over and over again. So if all have sinned, but God is so loving, why do we need forgiveness? Why can't we just pretend it never happened? Again, this is another question that we could spend hours unpacking, and there are lots of reasons that I could give you, but I want to focus on one, and that is that sin damages relationships. Sin damages. God does not ask us not to sin because he's this boring killjoy with a list of do's and don'ts up there. He's that good and loving father, the coach that's saying, come on, you can make it. Okay, let's try again. But he wants what's best. He wants what's best for us. He wants what's best for his children. He wants the best that we can have in our relationships with everyone in our lives. Ourselves. Those around us. And him. But every sin breaks a relationship. Think about it. Every sin It's not a sin because it's a rule in the list. It's a sin because it's breaking someone or something. Either my relationship with someone else, my relationship with myself, or my relationship with God. For example. Like, let's take one of those, like, um, victimless crimes, you know. Um, Gluttony. Or even, like, sexual sins. There's sins against ourselves. There's sins against our own bodies. When we damage our bodies, we damage our souls. I, don't, I think we forget that there's this connection, but it's, it's, a, it's a God-given, God-made connection. We are body and soul together. And the enemy wants to break that connection. That's how he makes us not human, less than image bearers. That's what a therapist would call um, disintegration. And this wholeness is what we would call integration. This is what God wants for us in ourselves, in our own bodies. It's wholeness. And that's why he asks us not to sin against ourselves and break the relationship, the wholeness, in our bodies. What about other sins? Like sin towards someone else. How about unkindness? Unkindness is a sin against others. My kids, they have this phrase. It's really cute when they say it. They'll be like really grouchy or grumpy and they'll shout or say something they shouldn't say and then they'll pause and they'll say, I'm sorry. That came out harsher than I meant it. (laughs) And we all pause and we recalibrate And I'm both pleased, I just love it when they do that, and I'm pleased and I'm proud, but I'm also really embarrassed because they get that from me. (laughs) I have this habit of directness, particularly with people whom I love. And um, sometimes my directness comes out overly harsh. Sometimes it comes out hurtful, and sometimes it comes out so blunt that it sounds like I'm angry, when really I, I don't feel that angry. And so I had I started after a while, I was trying to um, get in touch with my own kind of like bitter, deep-seated bitternesses that were going on in my life. The Lord was kind of rooting that out for me. And um, so one of the things I felt him call call me to do is just to be really honest and just direct, I'm feeling such and such. Um, so then as I'm like practicing this, sometimes that I'm feeling such and such comes out like a little bit like a, a lion, like growling. And um, so if it comes out on my kids, I then I'd start saying like, oh gosh, I'm sorry, that came out harsher than I meant it. what I meant to say was such and such. And when I go back and I admit that I was overly harsh and out of line and I'm repenting to my kids and asking for forgiveness. I'm seeking to repair that damage, that brokenness. What I've done to that child's soul. And I'm teaching them that I'm wrong in this case and that promotes forgiveness and that promotes intimacy and that offers the opportunity to heal that break. Whether it's in my relationship between my child or whether that's even in their own soul, you know, when more harsh, we damage people. God doesn't ask me not to be honest with my kids. God doesn't even, he's not even making this rule like thou shalt never scream at your kids. What he, the sin there is the I've broken my relationship with my child. And that's what he wants to be good. That's why he says, recalibrate, Angela. Try again. And that's why I need forgiveness. Because that's what, that is the method, that is the tool, that is the means by which God brings that healing to that broken relationship. So, the second thing that I wanted to talk about today there's an old bumper sticker. You don't see it so much anymore, but um, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Have you ever seen that one? I'm not perfect, just forgiven. When I was younger, I really thought that bumper sticker was a little bit offensive and a little bit smug. (laughs) I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. But as I've gotten older, and the truth of that has sunk in, I realize that it's really, really profound. Just like we were singing this morning, the worship song, I've been restored to the love of God, not for what I am, but for what I'm not. I am not perfect. And I can admit it. And I must, we must recognize that I have need of saving before I can be saved. Jesus said in Mark two, those who are, who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. That passage used to puzzle me. I thought Jesus was excluding good people, which really hurt my feelings because I would try really hard to be good. But what I realized, and where the profound part comes in, is that he's not saying... He's not excluding. What he's saying is, we have a need... And it's our recognition of a need of a savior. That's the very thing that enables us to be saved by him. We can't receive what we don't know we need. It's our great need that qualifies us to receive. And anyone who can admit that they need saving and forgiveness, well, can have it freely. Like like Paul says in Romans. Romans ten. Romans ten, twelve. The same Lord who is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who, are call, who have called on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's not, he's, he's excluding people. He's saying we got to know that we need something so that we can call upon him. And the minute that we do, we got it. I think some of us... Um, we have a hard time seeing our own sin or our desperate need of a savior. We kind of go along our lives, and we're you know we're pretty good, and so we just kind of don't need much, and so we don't we don't feel desperate and we don't feel in need. And I think that's I don't I think that's kind of normal. So I don't <laughs> I don't think we're super bad for being that way. But I think that we just forget. That we're in desperate need. And if you don't feel desperately in need of a Savior today, either because you're a good person or because you've already cleaned up your life and you've already moved on and you've done that, then I would really encourage you to pray a really brave prayer. Perhaps be brave enough to pray, Jesus greatest doctor show me my sin show me how much i still need you show me where i still need you to heal those broken places on the other hand some of us get caught up in a cycle of believing that now that jesus has forgiven my sins i should be perfect I'm forgiven, which means I'm healed, which means I'm whole, and I gave up all my bad habits overnight. And so now we got to pretend we don't have them. And then we don't understand why we keep going back to them over and over. And then we suffer this unrelenting guilt because of them. There's a curious verse in Philippians. It's Philippians 2, 12 through 14. And he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That verse really helps to read several times in several different translations so that you can really get the gist of what he's saying. What he's not saying is that we work for our salvation. What he's saying is that after salvation, there's still work to do. There's still work to do. That's expected. So if you look around the room today, I see you as loved by God and for- given, but I also just see you as people who still have work to do. And we should expect that of each other. Please expect that of me. I still have work to do. It's expected by God. It's expected, should be expected by our community of faith, should be expected by our families, that we're not perfect yet, that we're never going to be perfect, not on this side of Jesus coming back. But we are in fact forgiven, and we can be free from the sin. So my bumper sticker would say, if I could rewrite that bumper sticker, I'm still not perfect. I keep ing. I keep needing to recalibrate, and I keep needing to be forgiven which is not nearly as catchy as I'm not perfect, just forgiven. So the third thing that I wanted to bring up today is what enables us to forgive. What enables us to forgive? Again, lots of things, but our gratitude for our own forgiveness. My gratitude enables me to forgive others. And there's a helpful way and an unhelpful way of remembering our sins, like I was just talking about. Self-flagellation, either literal like they did in the Middle Ages, or um, emotional like we tend to do to ourselves now, are not helpful. I had a friend recently who um, confessed to me that he's an alcoholic And he's forgiven, he's been baptized, but he still continues to just be tempted to drink too much, and it gets him in trouble. And then when he gets in trouble, or um, something bad happens because of it, he just beats himself up about it. And... um, so we were talking about this, and I said, well, I just don't, I don't think that that's very helpful. And he said, but if I just keep feeling bad about it and over and over and just beat myself up about it, then I won't do it again. But that doesn't work. That's what I tried to tell him, at least. It just wears you down more so that you're less able to resist temptation That's guilt, and that's the trap that the enemy wants to keep us in, that downward spiral. But when we allow ourselves to feel the total freedom, the total freedom of forgiveness, it begins to change our hearts. And that feeling of indebtedness, like a good kind to Jesus, that's what spurs us to forgive others. That's what spurs us to forgive ourselves again and again. But there is a helpful way of reflecting on our sins, and that's why we do that during the month of Lent, during the season of Lent, with um, 40 days of fasting and prayer and repentance. There are helpful ways to do that, to uh, allow our hearts to be reminded of our, our past sins, not held by them, but reminded of them, or convicted of our current sins. Great and small. Because it builds in us a humility. Again, that knowledge that we need a Savior. That we're still in desperate need of a Savior. And then when we accept that forgiveness again and again, it builds in us this gratitude. So I was praying for our church this week. I felt like, the Lord said kind of two things. Some of us need to reflect more deeply on our sinfulness. And some of us need to allow the forgiveness that God offers to penetrate our hearts more deeply and heal us, not guilt us. I think most of us need both pretty often, like over and over. And when we can fully fathom our sinful nature and our need for forgiveness, then we can fully receive that forgiveness. Allow it to heal us. I've said that several times because I don't think we always do that. This is what Jesus meant. When he taught us, when he taught his disciples to pray, pray. in the Lord's Prayer, he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's some kind of cycle that happens here. And if you can do one, like be forgiven, then you can do the other, like grant forgiveness. And chances are, one of the two are easier for you than the other. Sometimes it's easier for us to forgive ourselves. And it's really easy to hold other people to the things that they've done to us. And it's hard to let it go. Sometimes it's really hard to forgive ourselves, but we just we don't have any trouble forgiving other people. We just beat ourselves up over and over again. Our- so chances are one of the two is easier for you. So my suggestion today is just start with the one that's easier. <laughs> because then it feeds, it gives strength to the other one. They they have relationship with each other. The ability to receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. It's like two sides of the same coin. It's um, like two sides of the... like arm muscles. Oh my gosh, I'm going to totally embarrass myself right now. You know, the muscle that pulls this one closed and then the muscle that makes this one open back up, you know, biceps and triceps, something like that. I don't exercise, I garden. Um, But chances are one of the two is easier. And so do that one. And that one builds your muscle to do the other one. I can't say that I fully understand that, but I can say that I have experienced that. That's part of the mystery of faith, that when I forgive, I can receive forgiveness more, and when I can receive forgiveness more, I'm more able to forgive. I didn't even touch today the topic of forgiving what feels like the impossible things to forgive. Those things that have been done to us that are in our lives that are so big and so deep that they feel impossible to forgive. And I think maybe that's for another preacher for another day. But I didn't want to go on without just acknowledging that. That there are sins that have been done to us or things that we have done that we just feel like how are we ever going to get over these? And I just name that. I acknowledge that. I ask the Spirit of God to keep being present with you in those. He is strong enough to heal those places. He is. So in the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Forgiveness is not facile or cheap. It is costly business. And that makes those who are willing to forgive even more extraordinary. Amen. So let me invite the worship team to come up I've tried to keep this sermon short because I have a special prayer um, that I want to do with us today. So you guys can go ahead and um, just play something soft for us while while we do this. But before we do that, I think we'd be remiss if we did not, once again, recite the Apostles' Creed together. So let me invite you to stand. We've got one more after this week. So we're almost there. But let's read this together. And as we do, it's a profession of our faith. We're reminding ourselves of these truths. We're reminding our brothers and sisters in Christ of these truths. But we're also inviting the Holy Spirit of God to give us faith to believe in these truths. We can pray it like a, We can say it like a prayer. So let's say it together. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. I'm sorry, I didn't send that last part to the slide, I guess. Oh, there it is. Ta-da! I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and next week, life everlasting. So one of the ways, the most healthy way that I have ever discovered to um, like reflect on my own sin, my own sinful nature, but do it in a healthy and constructive way is is a little prayer that I'd like to lead us through this morning. Because I can talk to you for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, oh gosh, about all these things, but really the important thing is that we are actually experiencing the forgiveness of sins between us and God. That's really, that's where it's real. And so that's kind of what my hope and my prayer is for us today as we do this, that you would experience these things, to be true for yourself. So we'll start back with that little prayer that I said at the beginning. Jesus, greatest doctor, show me my sin. Show me how much I still need you. Show me where I still need you to heal the places that are still broken. Come Holy Spirit. Let me invite you. I know that you're standing. I invite you to stay standing, but if you prefer, if it would make you more comfortable, you can sit. You can kneel. You can lay prostrate. Um, But I would invite you to close your eyes. That really does kind of help It helps you center in and it helps you focus on God. And I would say, um, as you do that, as you still yourself, kind of let my words just kind of become almost background and almost secondary and let the conversation between you and God be the thing that comes foremost and forefront. It's a conversation between you and God. I just happen to be here facilitating a little bit. So let me invite you to take a deep breath. And as you do, think about Jesus, our breath, the breath of life. Breathe him in. Breathe in his love and his mercy. Breathe in his goodness. And just take a moment for gratitude. Just thank God for one or two blessings. That you've experienced over the last day, big or small. Yes, Lord, we thank you. Thank you. We thank you for your goodness and for your blessings. And now we take a moment to pray for grace because it's difficult. It's difficult to reflect on our own humanity, the darker sides of our personalities. This prayer is described as um, the prayer of saving face. It's an acronym for fears, attachments, control, and entitlement. So that's where we're going next. Ask God to show you ways in which you have tried to save face recently. In this, there can be two traps. Either denying that we have a problem at all, or unlovingly condemning ourselves. Spirit of God, keep us from those two traps as we reflect, and as we listen. We accept your grace, and we listen to you as you lead us firmly and lovingly. So let me invite you to think over the last 24 hours and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what fears were predominant in your heart. Try to dig deeply and see, what am I really afraid of? It may not be what you expect because our true fears are often hidden behind and under our unconsciousness. So find that fear. Ask him if there's something even under that fear. And as soon as you locate that, just kind of name it. Almost like hold it before the Lord. Don't explain it. Don't try to reason it. Just hold it before him. And then leave it there and pause. What am I afraid of, Lord? Now, looking over the last 24 hours, ask God to show you any attachments to which you've been clinging. You might be overly attached to a person, like infatuation, or overly attached to an idea, that would be stubbornness, or overly attached to a behavior, that would be a bad habit or an addiction. Attachments, Lord, show us our attachments. Show us our emotional attachments to people, behaviors, ideas. And once you've noticed that, you don't need to wrestle with it. Just name it and hold it before the Lord and just pause there. Now looking over the last 24 hours, ask God to show you any situation in which you are trying too hard to exert control. Control. I may be trying to control people or organizations or outcomes. It's difficult to admit when we're controlling. Ask God for the courage to admit that. And when you find your obsession with control, just simply acknowledge it and pause. The last one is entitlement. I find this one particularly tricky. Look over the last 24 hours and ask God to show you any silly notions of entitlement that you might have. For example, I worked hard today, so I deserve this donut or this drink or this cigarette or I'm an important person. I'm entitled to skip my share of the chores or the menial tasks or the grunt work. It's for somebody else. Or I'm the victim here. I have the right to blow up, to pout, to be passive, to feel sorry for myself. So, are all forms of entitlement. And if you find a false entitlement in there, just name it before the Lord and just pause. Just name it and pause. Now, place before God your four discoveries your one fear. Your one attachment, your one need to control, and your one entitlement. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you which of the four is most strongly affecting your life right now. Ask him to show you. Now zoom in on that one issue and leave the other three behind for now and ask the Holy Spirit for insight. Ask the Holy Spirit for forgiveness. Ask the Holy Spirit for healing. Now, we're going to transition a little bit. Ask ask God to show you what the rest of today and tomorrow might look like if you acted out of the freedom from this issue. You're free from this issue, bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. What would your life look like if you were living out of that freedom? If you didn't allow that issue to rule you, how would your emotions and your thoughts and your words and your actions be different? Let hope rise up in you there. Come hope. Come hope. come faith come love rise up in us come Holy Spirit yes Lord yes I bless what you're doing I bless what you're doing in the hearts and souls in this room right now I just bless it more more Holy Spirit Let me invite you as we close and as you kind of come back to your normal awareness, your conversation with God isn't quite over. Give Him this issue, this one thing that has come up for you. Lord, today I wish to turn over my blank to you. I ask you to take over and to become the Lord of my life rather than letting this issue. Lord, over me. God, I ask you to help me live in the freedom of God's mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that that is a prayer that you are pleased to answer. You're answering right now in this room. Over and over and over and over. if that was meaningful to you that's called an Ignatian examine just a way of kind of examining our souls it's a tool we use often in spiritual formation practices we always joke about how um, like we're good evangelicals and it's really hard to sit in the tension of Holy Week because we want to just jump to Easter real quick But let me just invite you. I think that there's there's something here for us in this slow, steady, quiet, stillness, sitting with the uncomfortable parts of our own nature. And it makes Easter all the richer. So as you go out this week into Holy Week, if you come back for Monday, Thursday, or for Good Friday services, or to serve if one of our outreaches, just allow that tension to be there. Don't fight against it. There's formation that God is doing in our souls as we just kind of sit with that. And so I just, I bless you to sit in the uncomfortable waiting that happens before Easter. And I bless you to receive the riches of the kingdom of God in that. It's in Jesus' name that I pray that. Amen.